Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. This morning, as we take a look at godly fathers, I want to notice God's word regarding Abraham as a father. And if you notice there in verse number 19, it says, For I know him. That ought to be a humbling thought for all of us to know that God knows us. Not just that God knows about us or God knows, you know, some of the surface things. God knows us all the way down through to the core. And Abraham was known by God. God knows Abraham that he will command his children and his household after him. We know that God uh, desires for Abraham to lead his children in the way of the Lord. And when you see this uh, description of Abraham, we see that it's clear that Abraham had rule over his household. He gave the commands of God to his house. He says that he will command his children and his household after him. We know that also that the commands were not just arbitrary. These commands were not just, well, this is what I want. These are my preferences. This is what I want to do. He wasn't a dictator in the home. The rules of the home were the rules of God. Amen? That's what godly fathers do. Godly fathers make the rules of God the rules of their home. That's what we see there when we see in verse number 19 again, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. What is that way? What is that way that uh, uh, we are to go and that Abraham commanded his children to go? It is to do justice and to do judgment. So he is giving these rules according to the righteous word of God. And the end result of that is a great reward. You see that in verse number 19 at the very end, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know what God had spoken of Abraham. What did God say about Abraham? God said that Abraham would have a child. Miraculously, we know that when he was 100 years old, his wife was 90, that they had a child, they had a baby boy, that of course we know as Isaac. And Isaac would grow up, he would have children. We know about Jacob. Jacob had more than one children. He had 12 sons, and those are the 12 tribes. And so the family begins to grow and expand, and ultimately, they would go into the promised land. Ultimately, the entire world would be blessed because of what Abraham had done, ultimately through Jesus Christ. And there's a great reward for following the way of God. There is a great reward, and godly fathers see that. They see that there is a reward for following God, and they put that into their own lives. They see the reward, and they put that into their own lives, but we're talking about not just godly Christians. We're talking about godly fathers, and godly fathers see that not just for their own lives. They see that for the lives of their children. They see, hey, there is a great reward for following God, and God is going to reward me, or God has already rewarded me greatly, and I want that same reward for you. I want the same blessings for you. And so the godly father will raise up his children uh, in the way of the Lord. But what's interesting about this verse, the Bible says, uh, uh, again, there in verse number 19, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. What's interesting about this verse is that Isaac, though we know about him, Isaac in this verse has not yet been born. 
So when God says, for I know him, God says, I know Abraham, and I know that he will command his children and his household after him. He's saying, before Isaac is born, I know that he will command Isaac in the way of the Lord. I know that Isaac will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. It's interesting because God says, I know what Abraham is going to do when Isaac is born, even before Isaac is born. It, that, that tells us something about fatherhood. It tells us that godly fathers become godly fathers before they are fathers. They are growing in the Lord. They are growing in their relationship with God. And God knew that Abraham would be a good father because he was godly. See, fathers are good when they are godly. Fathers who follow God, who, who want to do according to the word of God, they want to obey God, they want to please God, they trust in God, those fathers are good. See, it's not the fathers who make the most money who are the best fathers, it's the godly fathers, amen? Right? It's not just the fathers who tell the funniest jokes who are the best fathers, it's the godly fathers. It's not just the fathers who raise up their kids to go to the most prestigious colleges or make the most money or have, have the, uh, the brightest career or the most famous. It's, it's the godly father. See, th there's nothing wrong with any of those things necessarily. It's not wrong to have a lot of money. It's not wrong to be funny. or It's not wrong to do any of those things necessarily. But all of those things without godliness makes for poor fathering. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we godly? Are we godly? And I, I want to see this morning three steps of growing in godliness. The first of which is a godly realization. Godly fathers realize that if they are going to do what God has called them to do, they've got to come to certain realizations. We're going to back it up in Genesis chapter number 17. You're there in chapter 18. Back it up one chapter. Genesis chapter 17, verse number 1. says this, And when Abram... This is Abraham, before God changed his name. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. See, godly fathers realize that if they're going to be godly fathers and if there is going to be something done, it is going to be done by God and it's going to be done according to his power. It's interesting, when God goes up to Abraham, he says, I am the almighty God. It's like he's introducing himself, right? When you meet somebody new or you know, you, you, you're standing there in front of a group of people, you would introduce yourself. Here is God, in essence, introducing himself. He's saying, I am the Almighty God. This is the first time we see that name appear in the Bible. El Shaddai. You might be familiar with that. It is God Almighty. It's the first time that we see that here. And godliness begins with realizing who God is. We need to understand who God really is. And God is revealing himself through his word, who he really is. And in this passage, we see that God is almighty. That God has all power. That it, godly fathers realize, you know what, if we're going to do something here, if we're going to accomplish something great, if we're really going to do what God wants us to do, it's not because we are powerful, it's because God is powerful. And they realize that. And, and that's where Christian living begins, is where we understand, you know what, God is all-powerful. Not only that, he's all-knowing. He knows everything. 
That's what we saw earlier. Abraham, it was said by God, for I know him. God knows Abraham. God knows you. God knows everything. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. God is holy. God is unchanging. Hey, you don't have to worry that God will change his mind tomorrow, that God will be a different God in 20 years, and 100 years. God is going to be the same God year after year after year. Contrast that then with Abraham. See, God is almighty, but we know Abraham is not. God is unlimited in his power. Abraham is limited in his power. God is unlimited in his knowledge, whereas Abraham is limited in his knowledge. We, we know that, that uh, God is unlimited in his presence. Abraham is limited in his presence. And, and godly fathers realize, you know what? I'm limited. I'm limited in my knowledge. I'm limited in my wisdom. I'm limited in, in, in my power. I'm limited in my time. We think so much about time, how much time that we have left. God is an unlimited time because he lives outside of time. And because of that, they don't trust in themselves they trust in God because they know God is good. They know God is love. They know God is holy. They know God is all-powerful. They realize all of these things. And, and Genesis chapter 17, verse number 2 says, And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. See, God is going to multiply Abraham, not according to Abraham's power, but according to his Right? You ever wonder why Abraham had to wait until he was 100 years old before he had Isaac? It's kind of a long time to wait, right? It's a long time to wait. Why 100? We know that the Bible says that they, they, we have no strength. <laughs> we can't have kids. We're past that time. And God says, but all things are in my hand. All power is in my hand. And I can do it. I want you to know that if you're going to have this child, it's going to come by my power. And if you're going to have this great nation as was promised, it's going to be according to my power. We also see that God accomplishes according to his precepts. In verse number one, it says, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So God says, I am the almighty God. I'm the one who's going to do this. You just do what I say. You walk before me and be thou perfect, and godly fathers follow God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to follow God, to be a follower of God? Well, of course, it begins with the word of God. That's what we see here. I'm the almighty God. Walk thou before me and be thou perfect. Follow my word. First John chapter 1, verse number 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. So what John is writing here, he's saying, from the very beginning, this is, this is the thing I want to give to you. It is the word of life. Why? Verse number three. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son, Jesus Christ. See, if you want to have fellowship with God, it begins with the word of God. You've got to have the word of God. And if you want a fellowship with other Christians, you have to have the word and put your trust in it. That's what Romans chapter 10 says. So that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
So all of this Christian living begins with the word of God. We receive the word of God. We understand who God is and what he says about his son, that he is the son of God, that he came, he died, he was buried. Three days later, he rose again. We put our trust in him and we have that uh, relationship with him. And God accomplishes not just according to his precepts, but according to his purpose and for his purpose. He says in verse number two, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. I will multiply thee exceedingly. Now, when we talk about the multiplication of Abraham, we know he's talking about his family, right? His family will grow. He will have a great nation after him. Of course, we know about that nation, the nation of Israel. And if we were to just ask fathers in general and ask them, would you love to be multiplied? Would you love to be great? Every one of us would say, yeah, right? I want to do something. I want to be something. Now, you may not have ambitions of being a father of a great nation, right? You may not have ambitions of having a nation named after yourself. But I'm sure that all of us have goals as, a, as individuals or as a family, right? You have goals as a father. Maybe you have a goal of, you know, I want to make a lot of money so I can give all of these things to my kids. I want to give them a home. I want to give them these experiences. I want to give them all of these things. Maybe you want to set up your kids for career success. I'm going to put them through all of these programs so that they might have, you know, long-term career success. And, and maybe you want to be able to give them all of the experiences that all of their peers have. And you, and you might have all of those goals and ambitions in mind as a father. What does it mean to be a father? This is what I'm doing for my kids. But I want us to see that godly fathers do things for God's purpose. And if God is going to do something in your family, he's going to do it according to his purpose and not yours. See, in Genesis chapter 18, verse number 18, it says, and these are the verses that we began with, it says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, of course, we know that ultimately the plan of God was that he was going to bring a savior to this world, Right? That's the plan of God. God's plan was, these people need to be saved. These people are sinners. They have rejected me. They have rejected my word. And they need to be saved. But they can't do it by their own works. They need somebody to come and save them. And it is my plan to send my only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to this earth so that he might be born, that he would die, that he would be buried. Three days later, he would rise again so that we might have hope of eternal life. That is God's plan. Amen? God is going to accomplish his plan through Abraham, right? The seed of uh, Abraham is going to go down, and we're going to have Jesus Christ. He's going to be born th uh, through that seed, and he is going to be the one. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one who will give us hope of eternal life. And God is saying, I'm gonna, I am the Almighty God. I'm going to do all of these things according to my purpose. That's why being a godly father is done by God for God, right? That's the mentality of a godly father. A, a godly father says, I'm going to do things by the Lord for the Lord. And that's what fathering is about. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4, it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition. What are those last three words? Of the Lord. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's why when we spend time as a family, we do it for the Lord. When we send our kids to school, we do it for the Lord. When we go on vacation, we do it 
for the Lord. That's our mentality. Our mentality is not, I'm escaping from God for these three days when I go on vacation, right? Our mentality is not, I'm going to escape from God and I'm going to leave God behind when I go to school or when I go to work. Hey, we're doing all of these things for the Lord and all of the fathering is done for the Lord. So there's a godly realization that we need to begin with that continues to a godly relationship. So godly fathers are godly because they have a real relationship with God. You cannot just know a lot about God. We said that God is almighty, and you all know that now. If you didn't know that before, you know it now. God is almighty, but you cannot just know that God is almighty. You cannot just know what God says about the Bible. You need to have a relationship with God. Being godly is not about what you do for God. It's about having a relationship with God. And Abraham had a personal relationship with God. In verse number one, we're back in Genesis 17. It says, and when Abram was 99 years old, oh, 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, do you see that personal relationship aspect that is there? That God appeared to Abraham. He talked to Abraham. Abraham talked to him. They had a personal relationship. And that's the thing about relationships. Relationships are inherently personal. All right? It's a personal relationship. When I say I know somebody, it means I have a personal relationship with that person. Not just we as a group or other people around me, but I have a relationship with God. I know God and God knows me. See, either you know God or you don't. You can't rattle off a lot of statistics about God. But the question is, do you know God? You can know a lot of things in the Bible, but do you know God? That's the thing about the Pharisees. When we get to the New Testament, we see in the Gospels, we see the Pharisees. The Pharisees knew all about God. They knew all the laws of God. In fact, if anybody were to say, oh, that's the most godly person, people in the nation of Israel would have all said, the Pharisees. Oh, they know the most about God. They know the most about the word of God. But when God appeared before them, they didn't know him. They rejected him. So when uh, they know all the words of God, they know the laws of God, they memorize the word of God, but when God himself appears before them, they don't know him. They don't know who he is, and they ultimately, of course, reject him. See, knowing a lot about someone is not the same as knowing someone. And a relationship cannot be borrowed or shared. It can only be owned. It can only be owned. Your relationship with God cannot be borrowed from another Christian, cannot be shared with another Christian. You must have your own personal relationship with God. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 24, gives us some of this further instruction because we're talking about godly fathers. And you don't become godly by doing all of the law because Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. What is the Bible saying here? Oh, if I'm going to be godly, I'm just going to open up the Bible and I'm going to do every single thing that the Bible says. And, and that's what the Pharisees were trying to do. But if we try to live that way, we actually misunderstand the purpose of God's law. What's the purpose of God's law? The purpose of God's law is to show us that we can't do it. 
right? That's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is not to say, all right, I'm going to do all of the law and I'm going to see how good I can be and, and I'm going to compare myself and see if I, could be, if I could obey more of the commands of God than somebody else. And that means that I'm godly because I'm obeying more of the commands. Well, of course, we understand that if we follow God, we will obey the commands of God. But if we're going to do it on our own, we understand, you know what, I'm going to fall short. That's why the Bible says, for all have come short of the glory of God. So what does that mean? It means that the law was given to us so that we might understand, I can't do it, only God can do it. Right? And that brings us back to the first realization, right? God is almighty. If this is going to happen, it's going to be by the Lord. So the point of the law of God is to show that we need Christ. We must put our trust in Christ because we have all sinned. We are all sinners, and there are consequences for sin. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of one sin is death. In your entire life, have you ever broken any of the laws of God? Now, some of you might think, hey, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good father. I'm a pretty good person. And you might say, I've never killed anybody. Right? I've never robbed a bank. Never committed adultery, never done any of these things. But can I ask you, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever coveted what somebody else wanted? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Have you ever been unthankful? Have you ever made a promise and not kept it? You know, you said you were going to be there and you weren't there. Have you ever been bitter or unkind? All of those are sins, amen? All of those are sins. And all of those things are there to show us, you know what? I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm a sinner. Before God, I can't do it on my own. That's why God had to send his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In fact, if there were ever a person who could say, I made it to heaven by my works, it would be Abraham. Right? If anybody could say in the entire world, I'm a good person, it would be Abraham, because that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse number 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. Oh, if anybody were a good person, it would be Abraham. If every, anybody were to look around and say, there's a godly father, there's a good father right there. That Abraham, he's, he's the best, but not before God. If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Hey, I might look good compared to you, you might look good compared to me, but before God, none of us looks good. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So you must personally confess your sin, put your trust in Christ, so that you might be saved, and then it will be God who through you does the work. All right? That's the plan of God. It's about faith and not works. That's how you can have that personal relationship with God. Not only that, we see that Abraham, he had a personal relationship with God, but he had a close relationship with God. Right? We're, we're talking about being born again, being saved. You're born into the family of God, and being born is wonderful. There's nothing greater than being born again into the family of God, but there is more to the Christian life than just being saved. Right? 
And if you're going to have a relationship with God, of course we know that once you are saved, you're always saved. You'll always have that father-child you know, child relationship. But when it comes to having kind of this you know, real personal relationship with God, you've got to, do, you've got to grow beyond that. Meaning this. So I, I have little kids. I have two little kids. And um, when you have newborn kids, you know, and they're, they're born, you have that relationship with them, right? Right? You have the mom with the relationship with the, with the, you know, I have two daughters, so, you know, with our daughter, and, and I have a relationship with my daughter. But it's mostly a one-sided relationship, right? You know, I'm going to talk to my child, and my child would look at me like, I don't know what you're saying, <laughs> right? And my child will babble a bunch of things, and I will look at my child and say, I don't know what you're trying to say. <laughs> this is one-sided relationship. But as my children have grown, they have begun to grow and be able to communicate back and forth. We begin to have this relationship, and now my children, they know me really for who I am now. Right? They're beginning to understand my personality. They're beginning to understand when I'm being serious or when I'm being silly or when I'm saying a joke or when I'm just, you know, asking them a question, what I'm trying to ask them, they're, they're beginning to understand those things. They begin to have that relationship. And that's what growing as a Christian allows for you to do, is you begin to really understand a little bit more who God is, God's heart, and, and what he really means when he says certain things, and be able to grow, and be able to read the word of God, and be able to understand, oh, I, I, I understand God a little bit more. I understand him. And that's what that growing in relationship is so that you might have a better understanding of the Lord. And that's that growing and maturing process and growing in that relationship. Because as a father, children are not just a project to raise them up so that they might make a lot of money and become independent. Now, Becoming independent, of course, is the goal of parents. We want to raise them up so that they are not dependent upon us, right? That's a big part of it. But the primary role of a parent is to direct the child to Christ. That is the primary role of the, uh, of the parent in the role of a child, to direct the child to God so that they might first be saved and then grow in their relationship with God. That's what being a godly father is. Amen? I mean, if there's anything godly about fathering, it would be to direct their children to the Lord so that they might hear the word of God, trust the word of God, be saved, and, and grow in their relationship with God. That's the godly part of being a father. And it begins with having your own personal relationship with God. Right? You can't help your child to have a personal relationship with God if you don't have a personal relationship with God. Right? Because your child's going to ask you questions. And they're, they're going to see what you're doing. And, and you've got to have your personal relationship with God. That's what James chapter 2 says. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. He had a personal relationship with God. Not only that, we had a communicating relationship with God. It's a two-way street when you have a relationship. I speak with my friend. My friend talks back to me. We do something, he responds back. Christianity is a relationship with God. And that means that as Christians, we hear from God and we speak back to God. And reading the Bible and hearing preaching is about hearing from God. That's what it is. So it's hard to have a relationship with someone 
when, when you want to talk to them, but they don't want to listen to you, right? It's hard to have a relationship with them. If you want to have a relationship with God, you've got to listen to them. Amen? You've got to listen to them. How can you have a relationship with God if God's talking to you and you're not listening? You can't have that relationship with God. That's why you need to pick up your Bible and read it. Amen? <laughs> right? You've got to pick up your Bible and read it because God is wanting to talk to you. Right? And God is talking to you. You say, I don't hear his voice. He wrote you a book called the Bible, and he's saying, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking to each and every one of you. And we've got to have that heart to listen, to hear, to respond. And when, you know, we have these preaching services. What are the preaching services about? It's about trying to give people the word of God. So you might have the voice of God, hear the voice of God, respond to the voice of God. See, when you read the Bible, it's not just a history book about people who lived a long time ago, right? The Bible is not just a book that's a self-help to help you with your finances or your emotions or how you can be a better person. See, the Bible is not just a book of sociology about how you can improve your relationships with other people. When you read the Bible, it is the very words of God. And when you read the very words of God, you're listening to him and you're listening to voice. Just like if somebody wrote you a personal letter and sent it in the mail. I know we don't do these things anymore. We don't send letters in the mail, right? We send text messages and stuff like that. But if you wrote something to somebody and you read it, you would, you'd have that communication. They're revealing something to you and you have that uh, back and forth. And, and that's what the Bible is. The Bible is a letter from God to you. So that you might hear the words of God. And God is speaking to you. And the Bible is how you can understand, oh, God loves me. Oh, this is what God wants for me. This is the instruction that God has for me. This is the comfort that God gives me when I'm going through a hard time. And not only that, as Christians, and you know, we're talking about a relationship here, we're not just hearing from God, we're communicating back to Him. That's what prayer is. When you read the book of Psalms, the Psalms are, you read these psalmists, you read David, you read the other people who wrote the book of Psalms, they're expressing themselves to God. God, why are we going through this? God, do you see this, this trouble that I'm in? God, do you see the anguish of my soul? They're, they're expressing themselves to God. They're asking God for things. They're expressing their love for him as well. And in prayer, you can express your heart to God. So you have this relationship. So you need to put your trust in Christ. Then you need to grow in your relationship with God. You got to have that communication. You got to hear the word of God. You got to be listening to the word of God. You got to open up your Bible. You got to read the verses and see what God has to say to you. Have that communication. Have that personal relationship with God. I think that's sometimes what can, you know, kind of maybe not trick or fool, but sometimes we could get a little bit too casual in thinking, oh, you know what? I went to church, therefore I did my duty as a Christian. But when we understand that Christianity is a personal relationship with God, then we understand, you know what? I might sit here in the service, but not hear a word that God is saying to me. Right? I might go all throughout the week and not spend a single moment with God and realize, you know what, that's not a personal relationship, right? 
when you have a family gathering together, but you never talk with that other family member because you're not on good terms, you know, you're there together, but you're not having that personal relationship, right? And that's what uh, Christianity is about. That's what godly fathers are about, having that personal relationship with God. So if we're going to grow in godliness, we've got to have that personal relationship with God, which then leads us to a godly response. See, this godly father, when he hears from God, all right, Isaac hasn't been born yet, but when he hears from God, verse number three, it says, and Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, and he begins to give some instruction. And I want us to notice, we're going to jump forward again to Genesis chapter number 18. Take a look at these verses. And the godliness of fathers corresponds to their response to God's word. Because it says in verse number 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Uh, verse number 19, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, that they shall keep the way of the Lord and to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which I have spoken of him. So here is God saying, all right, I know what Abraham is going to do and I know that he's going to do these things so that I might bring upon Abraham the promises that I had given to him. But we got to see what is it that Abraham was doing? So in Genesis 17, verse number one, it says, I am the almighty God. And the first command that God gives to Abraham is walk before me, walk before me. That's the first command. God is over the entire universe and we are walking before him. We are walking in front of him and we need to be aware that God is watching us. That's the first thinking of, of a godly father. The godly father realizes, you know what? God is watching me every moment of the day. Everywhere that I go, when I go to work, God is there watching us. When I go home and I sit on the couch and I flip on the TV, God is watching me. When I'm on social media, God is watching me. And that awareness ought to change the way that we walk. Not only that, there's an even further, I think, kind of deeper understanding of this because when you realize that the word before means face, so when he says, walk before me, in a way you could say, walk facing me. Walk, live your life facing God. The idea that you might give to a child is, you ever do this where you talk to your child and your child's either not paying attention or looking off some other way, and then you say, look at me, right? You ever do that? Look at me, all right? I want to know that you're looking at me that you're paying attention to me, that you're hearing what I'm saying. Look at me. And then when I see you look at me, I know you know that I'm talking to you and I can see that you're listening and paying attention to me. And when we live our lives, we ought to live our lives facing God. We ought to live our lives looking at God. We ought to live our lives thinking about, God, do you see what I'm doing? Is this the right thing? Sometimes my children will even do that when I tell them to do something and they're not totally sure <laughs> if they're doing what I'm asking them to do. Maybe I'm giving them a little bit of a complicated command or I've, I've said it in a way that maybe they don't totally understand. They'll go do it and then in the middle of it, sometimes they turn around and they look at me to see, it, 
this, this is what you want? Is this what you want? Is this what you... That's what a child will do. A child will hear the command and say, okay, I'm going to try to do that. I'm not really honestly totally sure. And they'll try to do it, and they'll look back and say, is this, this is right? This is right? And when I'll give confirmation. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Or sometimes I'll say, no, 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 that's not what I want. I want you to do this, or I want you to do it this way. As Christians, we ought to live our lives that way. As we do something, we ought to think, God, is this, this is what you want me to do? Is this the right thing? Am I doing it the right way? And be, be able to get some confirmation from the Lord and say, yeah, that's what I want you to do. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, that's the right thing to do. And have that attitude of responding to the, uh, to the Lord, looking at him. Because I think we've all had conversations with somebody and they're on their phone and you wonder, are they paying attention to me? Right? You're, you're having a conversation with somebody, but they're texting on their phone. Right? You're, you're, you're trying to talk to somebody, but they're scrolling on social media, or they're, they're doing something, even, even if they're doing something related to the conversation, sometimes you, you wonder, like, ah, are you listening to me? You know, sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody, and I'll have to pause them and say, you know, hold on a second, let me write this thing down, because if I don't write it down, then, then I'll forget. And I say that because I don't want them to think that I'm just texting somebody on my phone, <laughs> you know, that I'm just going to pull out my phone in the middle of a conversation and break that. You know, I want them to know I'm still listening. I'm still paying attention. I'm still in this conversation. I just don't want to forget this thing that you told me to do or you asked me about. I want to write it down. I want, I want you to know that I'm still paying attention to you and that I'm walking before you. I'm listening to you and we're still engaged in this conversation. We're still engaged in this relationship. And that's what Christians do is that they have their attention on the Lord and that God has their attention because it's so easy for us to be so busy with everything else that we lose our attention on God. That we're so busy with our career and we begin to be so busy with our lives. We begin to have so many other extracurricular activities and all the other things that we see everybody else doing, so we want to do them. And oh, there's another thing that we could do. And you put it into your life and all of these things that sometimes we've forgotten. Hold on a second. We're here to raise these children up for the Lord. We're supposed to do what God wants to do. And we've taken our eyes off of God. And sometimes we're going to put everything down, look back at God and say, God, is this, is this what you want me to do? God, am I walking in the right direction? Am I going in the right way? And Abraham was walking, facing God. And sometimes Christians can have the attitude of, God, bless me where I am going. But the attitude of a godly father is, God, I want to go where you are blessing. See, the attitude of, of some is, God, I'm going to go this way, and I want you to give me the things that I want because I'm going in this direction. But a godly father says, God, it's not about where I want to go. God, where are you going to bless, and I'm going to follow you there. I'm going to go where you want me to go. And I, I want you to give me the word so I can understand, ah, this is where the blessing lies. God blesses those that follow him. God blesses those that trust him. God blesses those that love him. God, that's where I want to be. And they align their lives in that way. They're looking at God. They're walking, facing God. Not only that, Abraham responded by following God in every area of his life. Verse number one says, walk before me and be thou perfect. The word perfect in the Bible means complete. It means 
every single area. So when we talk about somebody who's mature, we, uh, the Bible would sometimes describe them as being perfect. What that means is that they've grown in every area of their life. They've grown intellectually, they've grown physically, they've grown in their you know, maturity and emotions, all of those things. That's this idea. So when God says, be thou perfect, he's saying, don't leave anything off every area of your life. I want to be aligned because godly fathers don't limit God to one area of their lives. God is in every area of their lives. See, that's what makes a godly father godly. Not just that they bring their kids to church on Sunday morning. God is not just in their family on Sunday morning. God is in their family on Sunday afternoon. And God is in their family on Sunday night. And God is in their family on Monday morning and on Tuesday morning and on Wednesday morning. God is there in the car with me when I go home. God is there with me when I go to lunch. God is there with me when I wake up and I go to work, when I drop off the kids to school. God is in the private moments of your lives. When you're by yourself and your wife is off doing something else or the kids are over here. And, and, and the godly father understands that God is with them in every area of their lives. He doesn't got, push God out and say, God, you're not allowed to be here. God, this is for me only. Godly father have God in every area of their lives. That's why godly fathers, they don't excuse the sin in their lives. They come before God and they confess it and say, God, I responded in anger in this situation. God, in this area with my, with my uh, wife, you know, in my marriage, you know, I made a mistake. I did something wrong. With my kids, you know what? I, I responded in a way that, that was fleshly. Instead of being compassionate, instead of being a godly leader, I responded in the wrong way. And they, they, they can go before God and say, God, you know what? I, I walked away from your way and I went my own way this way, this time. And God, I want to confess that and repent and come before the family as well. They're willing to confess and to repent in every single area of their lives. So God is not just there when they are here on Sunday mornings. God is there with you when you go to school, when you play football, when you go to math class, when you're hanging out with your friends at a birthday party, when you're with the family on vacation. God is there all of the time. Thirdly and lastly, we see that Abraham responded by being first in his home. In verse number 9, Genesis chapter 17, verse number 9, the Bible says, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. I want you to notice the phrasing of this. Thou, or you, you keep the covenant, you, and your seed after you, in their generations. Notice the number of times that God makes it clear to Abraham, you do it, all right? You keep the covenant, you and your children after you, you keep the covenant, you do all of these things. God is telling Abraham, you keep the covenant first, and then your children do it after you, all right? Godly fathers understand the leadership aspect of fatherhood, which is this. Godly fathers don't drive from the back, they lead from the front, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1, Paul gives a wonderful example of what this means. He says, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Another way to state this principle is, godly fathers don't tell their kids to do anything that they themselves wouldn't do first. Right? They don't tell their kids, hey, you need to make up with this person, but they're not willing to make up with a Christian brother or sister. Right? They, they're not telling their kids, hey, you need to, be, you, you need to go to church, and, and they don't go to church. 
right? Godly fathers don't tell their kids, hey, hey, hey you, you need to, you know, watch what you, you know, the things that you watch on TV, and then they go, and after the kids are put to bed, they go out and watch filthy stuff on TV, right? They don't say, hey, I, I don't like that friend that you're hanging out with, but then they got these old buddies from high school or college or from work, and, and they, they go and say all sorts of worldly, filthy things, and, and they go hang out with them all the time, but then they tell their kids, hey, you shouldn't hang out with those crowd, with that crowd, Hey, the godly father understands, I go first and my children follow after me. That's the godly father they lead. They don't tell their kids to go follow God. They follow God and then they tell their kids, you follow God as I follow God. Right? Follow Christ with me. Worship Christ with me. Serve Christ with me. Obey Christ with me. Grow in your relationship with Christ with me. That's that godly father leadership example of not just you go and do this, but let's do it together. You come and do it with me. Let's be in this relationship with God together. That's why he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Notice that the phrasing of that is bring them up, not push them up, not drive them up, now go over there, but come and follow me. You've heard the phrase, do as I say, not as I do, right? Godly fathers say, do as I say, as I do it, all right? I'm going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to do it first, and then you follow me. You copy me. And oftentimes when I'm trying to, you know, give instruction to my children, I'll give examples. I'll show them what to do, and then they will do it, right? I'll give them examples. This is how you do the thing. This is how you put it away. No, this is how you're supposed to do it. And godly fathers do it first before saying it. One Christian who was uh, studying a father and uh, really parent and child relationships uh, gave a list of factors that produces a good relationship, you know, a godly relationship between uh, parents and children, all right? There, there's a couple of them. Uh, that I thought were interesting and good to share. The first is genuine love of the parents for each other and for the children. It's good for parents, the husband and, and wife, the mother and the father, to love each other. Amen? That's what you could do for your kids. You could love each other and love your children. The second is firm, consistent discipline. All right? But all of those words are important. Discipline is important, but it's got to be consistent. Right? It's got to be consistent. They, they can't wake up every day and wonder, can I get away with it or not? <laughs> they need to know, All right, I'm not getting away with it because it's the same every single day. They know these are clear lines. These are clear rules. Then you've got to be firm. Right? There's a place for mercy and grace, but you've got to be firm. No, I told you no. And I'm not going to repeat it. I told you no before. I told you no yesterday. I told you no the day before. I told you no last week. I told you no the month before. When I say no, what do I mean? I mean... No, <laughs> right? And so you got to be firm with that. You got to, if you're going to draw the line, draw the line, okay? And say, no, we don't do that. No, you're not allowed to do that. Because if you draw the line and you let the kids go across the line and you draw another line, guess what they're going to do? They're going to live their whole life thinking, you know what? If I cross the line, then another line will get just, just get drawn over there. So the lines don't mean anything, so I can do what I, whatever I want. You need firm, consistent discipline. Next is consistency of standards for parents and children, all right? Children, one of the wonderful things about children is that they are brutally honest, right? 
They are just, they, they just say what they think. <laughs> they just express how they feel. But the other thing on the other side is they can see hypocrisy when they see it. So we've got to have consistency of standards. If the standard is godliness for our kids, the standard needs to be godliness for us as well. All right? If I'm allowed to do it, you're allowed to do it. If you're not, then you're not. Things like that. The right example by parents. I think these are all related. You've got to give the right example. All right? Not just do as I say, not as I do, but do as I say, as I do it. But the last one I think is interesting because, first of all, it's controversial, I think, in the culture and day in which we live. But it's also very biblical and related to what we're talking about. The last one that he gives is the father as the true head of the home. Now, we know that that's biblical. Amen? All right. It's biblical, all right? This is not my idea. This is the Bible's idea, right? That the father is the head of the home, right? We see that in Ephesians chapter 5, right? It's very clear. That's God's plan. Where it gets twisted is when fathers think that means I get to boss everybody around because I'm on top, all right? I'm going to sit down on the couch. You bring me food. You, you know, take my socks and put it in the laundry. You kids bow before me and do, you know, serve me and do everything that I want you to do, all right? That's not what we mean by leadership, okay? That's not a leader. That's a dictator, right? Nobody wants a dictator in their home, father or mother or anybody, right? Children, sometimes children can be the dictator. Nobody wants a dictator in the home, all right? So what does it mean to be the leader? We've made reference to this already. When you're leading, that means you're the first one to go, right? You're the first one to take that step out. Not, hey, kids, you get out there and go, go serve God. It's, I'm going to go serve God, and I'm going to give the right example, and then I'm going to tell my kids, you see what I just did? You do the same thing, all right? You see how I'm serving God? You serve God with me. You see how I'm faithful? You be faithful as well. You see how I don't make any exceptions for God because God is always first? You do the same thing here. You see how I, I, I'm very careful with what I watch? Then I want you to do the same thing here. And all of those things, all of those examples, all of that leadership, that's what it means to be the head of the home. The godly father leads by example. They show godliness first, and then they say, we need to be godly as well. Everybody needs to be godly. Right? They show forgiveness, and they're willing to forgive their spouse. They're willing to forgive their children. They're willing to forgive others. And then they say when their kids get in a fight, and they say, you ought to forgive each other. Hey, do you remember that one time that when you know, there was an issue here you know, with you know, me and you know, my family member or me and my spouse or whatever? You see how we forgave each other? That's how you need to forgive each other. You need to forgive each other the same way. The same in generosity, the same in purity, the same in following after God, serving God, being a witness and, and sharing the gospel with others. All of that, that's what being a godly leader is about. And that's what Abraham did. And that's how you see Isaac to grow up. Then you see Jacob after him. Then you see the generations. After, they, they weren't perfect by far, but you see that God blessed them and did some wonderful things. And it began with Abraham. What did Abraham do? He saw God and he realized who he was. And he entered into that relationship with God. He put his trust in God and grew in that personal relationship with God. Being empowered by God, he responded, walking while facing God and being complete in every area of his life and stepping out and leading in his family first, therefore leading his children after him. And therefore, all those generations were blessed by God. Not only all those generations, all of us were blessed because of what Abraham did as a father.